Um, me and Treasure did not plan that, but that song could not fit better for the message that I get to share with you guys this morning. It is a blessing to be able to be with you this morning, and I want to begin just by saying thank you uh, to all of those who have been generous, uh, specifically to my family over this Christmas season. Uh, we cannot say thank you enough for the way you guys have treated us, and we are very grateful for that. I'll also tell you, I was asked just to mention, you see poinsettias around the sanctuary, and if a lot of individuals have uh, bought um, many of these poinsettias sort of as a memorial to someone, and today would be the day, if you guys wanted to take them home with you, that would be wonderful. Uh, some of you are very particular about flowers, and it would just it would break your heart to know what we're going to do with these on Tuesday when we clean up the sanctuary. So if you would like one of these, please take one with you today. And uh, we're very grateful for you guys uh, making that available to us this week. Uh, well, as we've spent the last several weeks looking at the Christmas story, the, the Christmas story basically coming to us through Jesus Christ... I hope it's been a time to reflect on how much God really loves us. The reality that God would send Jesus Christ as, as his son for us, his sacrifice, ought to be somewhat overwhelming. Imagine for a moment that you knew that you had done something horribly wrong and you realized that that thing carried a great consequence, that you deserve to die for what you had done. And then imagine God saying, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my son so that you will not have to pay the price for what you've done. That is exactly what the story of Christ is about. Jesus Christ came as our sacrifice. The real value of Christmas, as I shared on Thursday night at our Christmas Eve service, is revealed not in the Christmas story, but rather in the Easter story, which would unfold 33 years after Christ's birth. But what did actually happen after Christ's birth? We know very little about Christ after his birth until about the age of 30. We know that an angel had warned his earthly father, Joseph, to be able to take care of him. And in order to do so, he said, I want you to flee to Egypt. In other words, there is a king that is about to come and his goal is to destroy this baby that has been born. So flee to Egypt. And we know that Jesus went with his family to Egypt as a young man. But aside from that, we know very, very little until about 30 years had passed. The first miracle of Christ took place in a town called Cana of Galilee. The event was a wedding. Cana was an inconspicuous little town that lay outside of Nazareth. Cana had no special prominence of its day. In fact, biblical scholars and archaeologists took about 1,800 years simply to be able to locate where this city of Cana was. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus and his disciples had all been invited to a wedding. Because social standing was so important in the Jewish culture of this time, we can assume that this wedding was not a royal wedding, but rather it was a peasant wedding. Otherwise, Mary, being a peasant, would never have been invited. It's interesting to note here that Jesus' ministry, like his birth, began in a small, unimportant town to very common, ordinary people. Weddings were and are a big deal, though, in their culture. There's a certain protocol that had to be followed for a wedding to take place. If the bride were a virgin, the wedding occurred on a Wednesday. If the bride were a widow, the wedding occurred on a Thursday. 
The wedding ceremony would take place late in the evening, usually sometime after a feast. The father of the bride would take his daughter on his arm, and with the wedding party in tow, they would parade through the streets of the village so that everyone could come out and congratulate this young bride. Finally, the wedding party would arrive at the home of the groom. The wedding actually took place not in a church or in a temple, but rather in the doorway of the groom's house. And it was no short ceremony. You know, I, I do a wedding for families and typically it's uh, some t- somewhere between 20 to 40 minutes, depending on the things that they include. And often the groom is thinking 20 minutes is all I want. I just want to say I do. The wife, the bride, she typically wants an hour, ends up settling on 20 to 40 minutes somewhere in there. Well, that was not the case with a Jewish couple. In fact, it was not unordinary for these weddings to go for days. It was a time of great celebration. After the wedding ceremony, the bride and the groom would then walk through the streets. Remember, initially, the the bride and her father would walk through the streets. Then the bride and the groom would walk through the streets, accompanied by flaming torches. Remember, they started early in the evening, typically. Their attendants walked with them, keeping a canopy over their heads. The wedding party always took the longest route possible throughout the village so that as many people as possible could wish them well. And of course, there was no such thing as a honeymoon for these Jewish couples. The couple kept instead an open house for about a week. Imagine getting married and then opening up your house for the next week to spend time with all of your family and your friends. But they were treated like royalty during this time. They dressed in fancy clothes and many times even wore crowns on their heads. Whatever desire they had, whatever they asked for, they received. Their word was law for that week. The groom's family was expected to provide for all of the refreshments during that time. And that's where we pick up in our scripture passage this morning. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to ask if you would to turn there in your Bibles and uh, we're going to read it together. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. 
What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now before we get into uh, really the, the message this morning, I want to just share a very practical point. It's something that maybe, maybe it catches your attention. It's, it's the first thing that comes to my mind. The moment that they realize there is a problem, Mary says to Jesus, they have no more wine. I told you that we really know very little about what took place in the 30 years prior to this event. We know that Jesus was born and they fled to Egypt, but that's really the last we hear about his childhood, his early years, even as an adult, as he would have been learning to be a carpenter. We hear nothing. Yet we can assume something here. Jesus was a pretty special kid. You see, Mary knew exactly where to go the moment that she realized there was a problem. I wonder the many times that Jesus surprised the family. Money was tight and all of a sudden Jesus said, hey, go look underneath that rock. And sure enough, there's money sitting under the rock. There were times that they probably played. It would have been so hard to play games with Jesus as a kid because you know that he always won. You couldn't play those games where you had to guess, guess what number I've got up behind my back. He already knew what number you had behind your back. There were certain things that Jesus, even though he wasn't necessarily doing things for the sake of showing off, the reality was he was already the son of God. Even as a child, he was the son of God. And with that, we can imagine that Jesus Christ had shown up many, many times before. This just happens to be the first time that it's recorded. It's the first time that other people take notice of the power of and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Suddenly the host discovers that they are running out of wine. They had more guests than they had anticipated. And it would have been improper for their culture of this time to not have wine at a meal or at a celebration like this. Now understand that typically the Jews did not get drunk at a meal like this or a celebration like this. Drunkenness would have been considered a disgrace among the people. But, and this sounds really strange, the host could have actually been sued for a breach of hospitality to his guests. For them to show up expecting a party, expecting to have a great time and everything to be provided for them. If they were to get there and find out that, it, well, it really wasn't as good as everybody said it was going to be, the owner of the home could actually have been sued. Evidently, they didn't have the money to go and to purchase more wine. And we can assume that Jesus' mother somehow, I don't know if she was close to the family or if she just heard them talking or what happened. But she heard about the problem. Who knows, maybe even Jesus was close friends with the groom. Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and he, she says, Son, we have a problem. We need your help. The groom's family is running out of wine. The fact that Mary came to Jesus with such a problem is a reminder that Jesus is concerned with the everyday things in life that we face. Often when we think of the miracles that Jesus would perform in the following three years, we think of huge things. We think of a woman who had a continuous issue of blood. We think of a, a man who was dead and was raised from the dead. We think of individuals who were blind, who had leprosy, and somehow Jesus brought healing. Those are the big things. This seems so small. 
understand that Jesus cares about the small things too. Jesus cares about the big things. He cares about the small things. He cares about us. Jesus answers his mother in what seems like a harsh way, but he was not truly being harsh. I think if we use that terminology, if I use that terminology with my mom, if I just said woman, immediately I can expect she's probably going to, she was really good with my ears. She could grab hold of that ear and she could do all kinds of things with it. I should expect that. But in their culture, his response was not a negative thing. It was not him being aggressive or impatient with her. It was a reference to the fact that this was a woman of great authority to him. This was his mother. John calls this first miracle a sign. Signs are usually placed in places to give us information or to point us in a particular direction. The miracles of Jesus were always meant to reveal to us the glory of God and to point us to who he truly is. I want to take a look at this first sign and what it should mean to us today. Notice, first of all, that this sign informs us that the wine can run out. Mary realizes the seriousness of this issue. You can hear it in her words, they have no wine. To the Jewish people, wine symbolized joy. The Jewish rabbis had a saying, without wine, there is no joy. At the wedding in Cana, their joy had run out. It's a reminder of the emptiness that can occur in our lives without Jesus Christ. This statement by the mother of Jesus goes beyond liquid refreshment at a wedding. It is symbolic of our lives. It is a scary thing when the wine runs out for us. If I were to say to you the name Ernest Hemingway, most of you would recognize the name. You might not know with detail who he was, but most of us would know him as a famous writer, someone who Hemingway wrote great stories. Many of his books are considered to be classics. The Old Man in the Sea, a story he wrote while living in Cuba, reveals his genius. He was a Nobel Prize recipient. From the very early years of his life, he was a person who went for it all. He enjoyed life. He was a newspaper reporter and an ambulance driver during World War I. He was involved in the Spanish Civil War. He had friendships that ranged from bullfighters to authors. Whatever he did, he went for it all. He enjoyed life. But there came a day when the wine of his life ran out. Carlos Baker records it in the biography of Hemingway like this. Sunday morning dawned bright and cloudless. Ernest awoke early as always. He put on the red emperor's robe and padded softly down the padded stairway. The early sunlight lay in pools on the living room floor. He had noticed that the guns were locked up in the basement, but the keys, as he well knew, were on the window ledge above the kitchen sink. He tiptoed down the basement stairs and unlocked the storage room. It smelled as dank as a grave. He chose a double-barreled shotgun with a tight choke. He had used it for years to shoot pigeons. He took some shells from one of the boxes in the storage room, closed and locked the door, and climbed the basement stairs. 
If he saw the bright day outside, it did not deter him. He crossed the living room to the front foyer, a shrine-like entryway five feet by seven feet with oak-paneled walls and a floor of linoleum tile. He slipped in two shells, lowered the gun carefully to the floor, leaned forward, pressed the twin barrels against his forehead, just about the eyebrows, and he tripped both triggers. There are times that the wine runs out even for the most joyous people in the world. The joy dries up. A good friend of mine, his name was Rich Maserolo. Italian, if you can guess from the name. We grew up together. He was probably one of my best friends. He was the guy who, first of all, he was the life of the party. He enjoyed doing everything imaginable. We had so many good times together. He was the guy who would pick me up for school every single morning, me and my brother both. He kept a little cup in, the, the, in between the two front seats, and anyone who rode in his car had to put a quarter in there to help pay for gas. Now, what, 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 what will that get you, half a mile now? Me and Rich were great friends. He would do anything for anybody. When we got ready to move, he was the guy, out of all the friends that we invited, he was the one who showed up to help. He was that great guy. The laughter and the joy followed him seemingly everywhere. But eventually the joy ran out. We saw him about a month or so before he passed away. And at that point he was talking about some of the struggles that he was dealing with. Family issues, a drug issue, work issues. And a month later I got a phone call from his wife who informed me that he had taken his own life. The joy, the wine, had run out. Families that once began with exuberant joy are now ending in the pain of divorce. Why? <laughs> There's no more joy in that relationship. There are those who have not been to that extreme, but they are living life. But really, they're just enduring life. They drift from one day to the next you and I have no resources available within ourselves to replace the joy. But what I want you to see today, and we see it in this passage so clearly, only new wine can come from Jesus Christ. When that joy begins to run out, when you reach those difficult times, when your loved one passes away, when something doesn't work out the way you had planned, there is a source for us to experience new joy, new wine again. And it is through Jesus Christ. And here's the beauty of it. That new wine is better than what you had to begin with. Jesus Christ is the only one who can restore unto us the joy of his salvation. That is the joy that he offers to us. When we run out of wine, this sign teaches us that Jesus can turn water into wine. There's so many points that we see in this. First one I want you to see is God takes ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. He didn't tell him, go find the best water around. He didn't say, go get water out of the Jordan River because that's such a holy place. He didn't say, go to the town fountain where perhaps others have experienced great miracles. He says, go get some water, and fill those jugs. He takes ordinary 
and he turns it into something extraordinary. Mary came to Jesus and told him about the problem that they were facing. I can just imagine her telling the groom's mother, you hold on just a minute, I think I can fix this problem. She came to Jesus and told him, and I love her instructions that she then gives to the servants. By the way, does Jesus ever say, yes, I'll do it? Actually, no, he doesn't. He just says, why, why are you bothering me with this? And then Mary immediately turns around and says, you just do whatever he tells you to do. And there is this assumption that since mother asked, Jesus is going to do it. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. But she tells the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Jesus took the water pots that were filled with water for hand washing. When the guests arrived, someone would pour some of this water over their hands in a symbolic act of purification. To me, it's almost like walking through the local hospitals. Every, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 feet, there are these hand-washing stations on the wall. And there are some of these hospitals that those halls are so narrow, I feel infected the moment that I walk in. So I stop at every one of those things and I gotta just kind of put my hand underneath it. Well, here they would come into the house and immediately, it didn't matter what they had been doing throughout the day, they immediately had their hands washed. Now, in some ways it was symbolic, but there was probably a hygiene aspect of this as well. This was just ordinary water, but typically it would be used for cleaning. To eat with unwashed hands would have been considered a defilement. Jesus took this water and he makes approximately, it says 20 to 30 gallons in each of these pots. He makes approximately 180 gallons of wine. What a wedding gift that must have been. It's interesting to note that Jesus took the water from purification. And he used this for his first miracle. The water in those pots was merely an external cleansing. Yet Jesus's ministry over the next three years would teach people about an internal cleansing that he alone could offer them. If we look at the first miracle of Jesus, we see this truth. Jesus is not just the giver of joy, but rather the giver of abundant joy. He not only met their immediate need, but he gave them an abundance, more than they ever could have expected. Jesus didn't make some ordinary wine. Instead, the wine that he produced was better than that which they had started with at this celebration. Jesus didn't just doctor the water so that it tasted like wine. Now, the water in those pots was transformed into the finest wine the people had ever tasted. The truth for us is this. Jesus is not going to just doctor up our lives a little bit. Just put a band-aid on our needs and maybe cover up the problems that are there. But rather, he seeks to transform our lives. Just like he transformed that water, our lives will take on a new nature. Someone once said, don't focus on the stone water pots. And miss the whole point. Jesus is really about transformation. He turned water into wine. He turns frowns into smiles. He turns whimpers into songs of hope. He turns deserts into beautiful gardens. He turns our sorrow into joy. And he turns our sin into grace. 
And here's the coolest one. He turns death into life. Jesus is all about transforming power, changing people, not just water, changing people. The third thing that we see in this sign that Jesus offers, Jesus offers an abundance of new wine at the end. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand God, not only meeting our needs, but providing for us an abundance, not just a little bit, but a lot. That's the story of grace. There is no measure of grace where God says, I will extend this much grace, but don't go beyond that. I'm not telling you that you should continue in sin so that grace might increase. In fact, Paul asked that question, should you continue in grace so that grace might abound even more? He says, absolutely not. But what I want you to understand is that if one individual needs this much grace, then that's how much grace God will offer. But if another individual needs that much grace, then that's what God will offer. There is no limit to God's grace. You look at your life and you pinpoint all the sins that have been present and you think to yourself, well, God couldn't minister to me. I've got too many things in my life. There are too many times that I've let him down. And he says, what measure of grace do you need? I will offer that measure of grace. This is a boundless grace that he offers. The story of God's love. There is nothing that you can do that will cause God's grace to not be extended to you. Understand this principle of God today. God is not just a God of the required. He is a God of abundance. Consider Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He says, you give me the portion that belongs to me. And you watch how I respond. I will not just match What you give, I will pour out my blessing upon you so much so that you won't know what to do with all the goodness that is offered. That is the kind of God that we serve. He says, I want, I long to bless my people, not with just enough, but in abundance. Look at creation. I had the privilege of Living in the Rockies for about two and a half years, we lived in Colorado Springs, incredibly beautiful place. There is an overabundance of beauty that is there. God didn't just give us enough beauty. He gave us an overabundance of it. Have you ever been to the seashore and looked out over the ocean? There is far more beauty than the eye can absorb. Have you ever seen a field of wildflowers? Not just enough to fill up a vase in your living room, but more than enough. This is the picture of grace. God always gives us more than what we need. So the wine is poured out. And all the people who are present rejoice at this new wine. This was completely against their custom. The best wine was always offered first. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out why. You gave the people the good stuff while they could still taste it. 
while they could still remember what it tasted like. And then steadily you might drop the quality and nobody would even notice. But here, the good wine is what comes last. God saved the best for the end. The grace we once tasted cautiously, we now drink freely. Jesus has poured out in us the richness of his love and forgiveness, and it seems to only get better as life goes along. I was thinking this week in preparation for the message today about the story of Moses and his initial encounter with God at the burning bush. The moment he realized where he was was that point where, which I don't get because he had this burning bush that was talking to him yet not being consumed, and he was okay with that as if that was a normal thing. But when the bush told him that this is the Lord your God, and he said the place where you are standing is holy ground, The voice told him to take off his sandals and immediately he bowed his head and he was ashamed for who he was. Why? Because he knew that he was a sinner. He could not even look up at God because of the fact that he was overwhelmed because of his own sin and his grace. Yet a few years down the road, as Moses would spend time on the mountain with God, he asked God, Let me see your face. I want you to know that the God he stood before had not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what was different was that Moses realized the grace that he had received that made that possible. Moses couldn't handle seeing the face of God, and God knew it. God allows him to see his backside. But the point isn't necessarily that Moses couldn't handle the face of God. Moses was bold enough to ask that question, that request, because Moses now understood that in order to be in the presence of God, he depended solely on grace. And the same thing is true for us. The grace that God offers us is is a boundless grace. And it's something we need to depend on. What do you do when the wine runs out in your life? Mary showed us by example. She told the servants that if they would just do what Jesus commanded, they would see a miracle. A miracle that not only met their immediate need, but a miracle of abundance. Has your joy run out today? Maybe this year has been a great year for you. Maybe this year has been a year where you look back and you think, I want an instant replay next year. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe you've had to struggle with physical issues all year long. Maybe you've lost someone that you love dearly. Maybe a relationship that you have valued so much has crumbled around you. When the joy runs out, Jesus is the only one who can restore that joy and make it even better. Come to Jesus and allow him to transform your life as he did that water into wine. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father.
as we come before you today, Lord, we are so grateful for the fact that you would reach into our lives. And in our moments where it feels like the joy and the wine are gone, you are the one who restores to us the joy of your salvation. Father, as we come before you today, you know the baggage that each one of us carries. Some of us are weighed down today with great brokenness, maybe with regret, sorrow. But I pray today that you would restore to us the joy. But not just a little bit, but I pray that you'd make it better than it's ever been before. But perhaps some in here today need your forgiveness. Perhaps the reason some of their joy has been taken is because they walk around carrying guilt and shame over choices that have been made. And they don't want an instant replay this next year, but rather they want the opportunity to start over afresh and anew. And I pray that right now as they bring their confession to you, but I pray that you would give them that fresh start. But I pray for every individual who is here today that they would understand what it truly means to be filled with an overabundance of joy so that the joy that is within us would be overflowing so that when we bumped into other people, we would splash out on them. Lord, I pray that your joy would envelop us today. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, I would love to be able to pray for you today if perhaps your joy seems to have run out. Would you just raise your hand real quick and I want to be able to pray. For, I won't call you by name, but I will pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, for each of those individuals who just raised their hands, Lord, I pray today that you would restore to them your joy. But I pray that this message would lay so heavily upon them that they would continually be aware of the fact that you are a transforming God. Transform their brokenness into wholeness. But I pray that you would make them a new creation in you. Not a doctored creation, but a new transformed creation in you. Fill them with your joy today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited about 2016, which is to come. And I hope that you recognize that God is going to do great things. My prayer is that this will be the best year of your life and that this would be the year that God moves in such a mighty way through you that there'll be no way to ever look back. So thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.